Hello. Hey, Dave. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Now, are you on a uh, are you on a mic setup, or are you talking uh, like is it speakerphone? How have you got it set up? I could do uh, either or, whichever one sounds better. My name is Steve Joel. I'm a 40k nerd from New Zealand. Oh, and a radio host. This is episode 10 of a series in which we meet the people who've changed the way we play, paint, read, collect or consume Warhammer 40,000. Whatever kind of 40k you do, I want you to meet the Game Changers. That sounds okay. Can I hear the other option? Sure. Yeah, just give me one sec. I'll set that up for you. Thanks, man. Sorry to be a pain. Want to make sure it's as good as it can be? Yes, absolutely. All right, let's try it. How's that? Oh, yeah, that's clean. This podcast is supported by the Frontline Gaming Network, and because they support us, I'd really love for you to support them. Why wait for heavy intercessors and chronomancers? Frontline Gaming has more stock right now of Kill Team Pariah Nexus, and... It's at a great price, so go get it. Big savings on the best stuff, like Kill Team Pariah Nexus, right now at Frontline Gaming. The link is in the show notes for this episode. How are things? Everything all right? Everything's great. As great as it can be. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Actually, how how where are you guys at with all of that at the moment? Before we get started with the with the COVID and everything, in your part of Canada, what's going on? Well, it's uh, we just recently came out of a lockdown, which is good. We're not quite locked down anymore, so we can have people here at the bunker and we can do things again. In this episode, we get to know a legend of content creation, the OG, and as we're about to find out a real renaissance man of 40k. So, let's get started. His channel has 377,000 subscribers, which makes it easily the biggest and best-known battle report channel in the world. He's been producing 40k content since 2007. For those who want to keep track, that's 15 years. He's a movie producer, a children's author, an actor, and in 2017, his very niche company won Business of the Year at the Local Business Awards. Dave Nordquist, known to us all as Mini Wargaming Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us, mate. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, my favorite thing that I know about you is that you had a landscaping business, and then the first thing you did on Mini Wargaming was make tiny little landscapes for uh, for minis. That's super cool that you were <laughs> able to bring that skill set straight across from the landscaping. Uh, you you did your uh, research. You, yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, that's how it all started, making small rocks and trees and hills. I feel like it's a <laughs> it's a big switch being a landscaping guy, and then and then coming across to this. So. Yes. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, I mean, well, okay, so I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my business partner, Matthew Glanfield, who uh, I've grown up with. He's a childhood friend. And uh, one day he calls me up and he's like, hey, Dave, do you want to play Lord of the Rings? I'm like, yes, I want to play. That sounds fun. What's Lord of the Rings? And it was the Games Workshop tabletop version of it, right? So we play it, played on uh, my, my coffee table using candlesticks as terrain pieces and box of Ferrero Rocher is another <laughs> hill with a, a, a bed sheet to kind of simulate kind of like elevation of terrain and, and so forth. And 
and that was a lot of fun, right? Uh, and so it went from that to, hey, Matt, we should do a business together. And then, and he's like, well, you want to sell minis online? I'm like, yep, that sounds better than landscaping. Let's do it. Right. Uh, and so it, it kind of just went from there. We started making videos and uh, he didn't want to be in videos at first in case it didn't work out. He didn't want to be associated with something that was kind of playing games because he was doing a serious business, right? right. He was doing internet, internet marketing, teaching people how to make money online. Where, you know, I, I can be goofy on, on a YouTube channel. That's, there's no problem, right? But, it, you know, so he had he saw so much. I was having so much fun with it. He was like, okay, I'll, I'll be in the videos. I'll be in the videos too. So uh, yeah. good thing too because he's a fantastic personality and it wouldn't be the same without him. Uh, but yeah, we've grown since then. Uh, and that's how it started. So when Mini Wargaming started, you hadn't at that point played a single game of Warhammer 40,000? Uh, correct. That is actually correct, yeah. Uh, we, we started it, and I had not played 40K yet. That's amazing. I mean, it's kind of, and, and as you say, you kind of started off with the idea of selling miniatures, and you, I think I'm right in saying the first videos you did, uh, you were doing, you know, making bases and using basing material that were, in your online store. That was the idea, to push people to the shop to get the stuff. Correct. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Mr. Kirby changed the rules over at Games Workshop and you were pretty much no longer able to operate a store. So that, <laughs> at the time, that must have been like, well, holy crap, now what do we do? Yes, absolutely. I remember that. Uh, yeah, so Matt made this video saying, hey, listen, we're going to close the store because Games Workshop changed the policies. So Matthew here from miniwargaming.com. And by now, you may or may not have already heard about the new trade updates between Games Workshop and retailers in North America. There have been significant changes to their trade agreement with retailers such as us, Mini Wargaming. We couldn't sell outside of the country because we're in Canada, and we couldn't sell online. It had to be mail order. So basically, two cuts, two cuts, both legs cut from underneath us. Wow. And we couldn't couldn't do anything, right? And so we made a video saying, hey guys, listen, this is what's this, the state of affairs. We do have this online paid membership where you can see extra content that we've been working on. So if you want to support us, then that's the best way because otherwise we, we won't be able to continue this. Uh, and so at that time, we were able to receive a massive boost in our support from the audience. And this was a number of years ago. We're closing in on 10 years ago that this happened. Uh, and so since then, it's been content 100% content creation, and it's actually, in retrospect, a very good thing that Games Workshop changed their policies on us because it forced us to grow in a different direction where we were completely independent and autonomous. We weren't relying on them anymore for a livelihood. Isn't it funny how that works out sometimes, that, it, that at the time that felt like a blow, this is it, I'm, I'm going back to landscaping. But, mm-hmm. um, but actually, the way it worked out, because of the community's support, I mean, that's kind of, that's where it ended up for you, right? Hundred percent, yeah, yeah, and it's the community once again, the community, and that's why I love this community so much. So, uh, Matt and you started the business together, which, having seen Matt now in a bunch of videos, it seems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but at a kind of a yin and yang relationship, he's he's very chill, he's very calm. You're like a ball of energy and ideas and chaos, <laughs> and <laughs> in the in the good way. Um, in the good way, yes, yes. Yeah, is that how? Is that why it works? Do you think you two have grown up together? Has it always been that way? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I, I think, yes. Uh, and the reason why I, I'm, I guess I'm reluctant or hesitant to say yes for certain, that is it, because I just, I don't know any different. We don't know any different, right? right? Like, uh, that's, that's how it is. And and I think there is certainly a lot of merit to that. We ha- we care about different things. We have vastly different personalities. There's things that we look at that we tackle in a completely different way. And we challenge each other in, in ways where if we were very similar, we wouldn't. And we wouldn't grow 
in ways in which we have because we're so different. So I think after, after saying all that kind of thinking out loud there, I think maybe that is just it. Maybe that's why we've been able to do this so long. I'm fascinated by the idea of the two, like the two different personalities and, uh, you know, working in an environment where I work with a co-host. Do you have one of you, it seems like you would be like this big ideas guy and and being from his role, maybe he's more like the the logistical person of, okay, well, that's a great idea, but man, how do we get that done? Is that how it works mm-hmm. in the background or not? I mean, uh, that's certainly a very uh, cut and dry way of <laughs> yeah, explaining it. I mean, he, I mean, the, to his credit, he has fantastic ideas and uh, he has uh, you know a very big imagination when it comes to things. But I think I think uh, those are certainly our strengths. Uh, when it comes to the big idea stuff, that's more so my strength. And when it comes to the logistics and looking at numbers, that's his strength. Like he's he's a he, he would never admit this, but he is a genius. Uh, he, he he learned a couple languages later on in his life, French and Tahitian. He plays the piano like a savant. He's uh, no one knows this about him. He's uh, without him, mini wargaming wouldn't have the uh, infrastructure that it has. Uh, and and so, uh, yeah, I would absolutely uh, I, I think I would I would agree with that as well. That those are our strengths and that that's what we play to. Right. And it must have been nice to have an Internet marketing guy, kind of, you know, right with you right there when you when you're essentially doing Internet marketing. Yes. Yeah, essentially. Right. It's not in the traditional sense where, hey, we're going to show you how to make money and grow audiences online right. it was take a look at these awesome things that we're doing and the games that we're playing and we are organically growing in, in a way that i believe it, it should be done as opposed to look at look at, i'm making money by showing you how to make money it, it just right. kind of seems like this is odd odd situation that only works in internet marketing scenario so the first reference I can find to a to an actual battle report, which uh, I think this is what you're known for now, like you're the OG battle report team. The first reference I can find is in May 2008, and it's like a two-minute trailer pointing people to the website, to the vault, for a full battle report. <laughs> okay, that and sounds it, right. Yeah, and then in July of that yeah. year, it's uh, Matt versus Scott, Nids versus Thousand Sons, and in that battle report, it's like a turn-by-turn summary upload of, of what's going on. So it Correct. feels like there was a lot of experimenting and messing around with what works and what might work mm-hmm. and then what doesn't work. And you kind of, yep. you're really trying stuff out in, in, in 08. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of experimentation. Uh, like, as you said, right, there, there's multi parts and it was turn recaps. It wasn't showing every die roll. And I remember back then YouTube had a cap. They had like a, it's like a 10 minute cap for videos that you can post huh. and upload. So that's why we did it in parts. And back then it was like one part per week. So it would take like a month for you to see a full battle report. <laughs> and then wow. then we made the big jump, right? The big jump of, hey, let's put all the parts together. Like once they like didn't have that cap anymore on the time, like let's put it all together in one day. Wouldn't that be nuts? And so we started that and obviously the response was better. It's like, yes, finally, we can see the whole thing in a single sitting. Thank you. <laughs> Continue doing this. Never go back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, do you know what? It's, it's so funny. Looking back now, uh, when you know when I'm doing the research, I never would have that wouldn't have occurred to me that of course YouTube had a cap because speeds and data and broadband and all that there were mm-hmm. limitations then that don't exist now, and it's mm-hmm. funny with like talking to Winters and Lawrence similar sorts of things for similar sorts of reasons things evolve because suddenly caps disappear or limitations mm-hmm. disappear and then someone like you says, well man let's see where we can take this it must have been mm-hmm. a really exciting almost nerve wracking at times. A period of of the company's existence. Yes, yeah. I mean, 
Okay. Yeah. Here's a good example. Like uh, when you're playing the games, it's an incredibly complex game. And when you make an error, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's detrimental, not only to the game, but people see it and it's like, oh, okay, well, you're a professional channel. You shouldn't be making mistakes. How come you're making mistakes? Right. We're paying for you to see this and you're a professional. Uh, and so back then when every single second and frame was edited, uh, I remember editing out all that stuff. But since then, I've learned that that's actually all part of the flavor right. is showing that human frailty, that human element of the mistake making that goes into the errors that give it more personality. Uh, and that was that was a hard another hard leap to make because it's like, OK, we're going to go from completely polished and seemingly perfect with zero errors to people are going to see the raw, real uh decisions being made and we're not, we can't go back right so that that was a big decision to make i think it's amazing and and for other people who are listening who are maybe budding content creators podcasters whatever this is something we learned in radio as well and we went through this big phase in the 80s and 90s of everything's got to be perfect and polished and then uh, say you were listening to the radio and you could hear a door opening and closing in the background and no one would explain why that happened because you're so focused <laughs> on the radio show but more mm -hmm. and more now, it's about realism, about being real. If you stuff it up and you let people know, hey, that was my bad, or, or, or you address it, or you just move on. It's just about being real. And the more mm -hmm. real you are, the better the response you'll get. Is that what you guys found? Yes, uh, I, I would agree with that. There's definitely a, a, there's a result, there's a direct consequence to the transparency. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that in turn, it just makes you more relatable Yes, because uh, a, a lot of the comments that we receive, uh, they err on the, hey, it feels like I'm in the room with you playing the game. I feel like a fly on the wall watching your guy's game. Uh, and that, that's one of the best compliments that we can receive is that uh, people who are, are watching who may not be able to make it to a gaming club or play uh, often with their, their buddies, they're able to still get that experience or a degree of that experience by watching us play. Other folks I've spoken to have always referenced you guys. So Lawrence said, well, when we started, Mini Wargaming was around, but no one else. And then Winters said, well, when I started, Mini Wargaming was around. So you've inspired other people. What I'm interested in is who inspired you? Who were you looking at or looking to when you first kicked off this whole thing? So back then, hmm, yeah, there was a handful of uh, YouTubers because this is back when YouTube was basically just born it was a new thing to have 500 subscribers was a huge deal yeah. back then and so i remember the biggest channel at the time was blue table painting and they had 1800 subscribers so let's let's put things into relative terms there for a moment where that's not that's hardly anything right mm -hmm. nowadays yeah but back back then that was huge that was like, hey, that's a small hick town watching or uh, watching videos. That's so many views. <laughs> what? That video got three hundred views. That's so many. It's so many people. And so we we wanted to reach that. We wanted to be like, hey, one day, one day, we'll have eighteen hundred subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so it was it was nuts. So we worked towards that, and we saw his battle reports. So as much as we're one of the older ones that have been making battle reports, uh, we certainly weren't the first. Because uh, uh, Sean from Blue Table, he was making bat reps before us. In fact, the term bat rep, short form battle report, I mean, we got that from him. Uh, and we started making battle reports. Uh, and we're like, hey, it's a good idea. People want to see the game played. So let's do that too. In addition to the terrain tutorials that we were making. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this is it. So you had a whole lot going on. I saw this great kind of behind-the-scenes video. You introduced your brother and then kind of showed us around this inside the city hall, which I think was your mm-hmm. old base, inside the city hall, yes. and you showed us people. It's, it looked like some people were playing a fantasy game and other people were doing, like, making terrain and then other stuff was going on. There's just so much kind of happening, mm-hmm. you know, in there. Yeah. Uh, and you're videoing some of it and then you're overseeing all Actually, I think at the time... In this video, you're using some brand new software to build an army list, which tells you how okay. long ago time how long ago it was. Um, yep. So, time wise, you're in the old city hall producing videos. Seems like there are plenty of people. Uh, how long did it take then for you to bring on guys like Luca and Steve and and the others, and really then hone in on on what we see now as mini wargaming? So that was uh, that was a big decision. Again, that was another big jump, right? Because then they went from taking the all of the attention off of myself and Matt onto another person as well and dividing that attention and not fully understanding the, the repercussions of that and whether it be good or bad, that was certainly a leap that we had to take. And Dan, Codex Dan is what he's known as, uh, the orc player, the the man with the longest wah I have ever heard in my <laughs> life. Uh, the big beard, uh, he was the one that we hired first for content creation as a content producer who wasn't one of us and so it started with one and then it grew into more because we saw that and we're like hmm we're able to actually make more content if we have more content producers what happens if we have more and so then uh, we started to hire more uh more and more and so over the years uh, there's been personalities that have come and gone uh, different stages of life and yeah. different goals in life and different various reasons why people have left uh, but uh, right now, the the team that we have, we have one, two, three, uh, for five total, five content producers, myself and Matt included, uh, making battle reports and showing off the game. Yeah, and it, it seems like a good bunch. I want to um, I want to ask when you when you talk about in those in the early days when you talk about hiring someone, uh, I'm assuming that that isn't you know bringing someone in full time and giving giving them a, a big movie star wage. <laughs> do, do they come in and like you say, we'll give you a few bucks, you make a video and, and then they have other work that they're doing as well? Yeah. Like I remember with Dan, it, uh, it started part time. Yeah. Right. And, uh, we, uh, we paid him above minimum wage cause we really wanted to do that just to kind of, you know, feel good about ourselves as business owners. Hey, let's, let's provide a wage that's higher than minimum. <laughs> uh, so I think it might've been like a dollar more than minimum. So it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot. It's very, very modest wage. Uh, but the fact that we were able to, provide employment for this amazing thing that we were doing was just mind-blowing it was just like wow we can play the game not only play the game but actually employ people to play the game how crazy is that yeah and i then that's your that's your whole thing right at the start we play and call it work and it's uh it's great i feel like this is the Mm -hmm. dream if you play the game being able to earn a living from it is is the there's the big pipe dream Uh, yes yeah. Yeah. So uh, now there are so many people uh, in the in the business now, the battle report business. How mm-hmm. much has it all changed for you uh, when you look out over that landscape? How much has it changed in 15 years? Oh, man. it's So first off, it is incredibly exciting uh, to see so many, and not just so many, but to see so many high-quality channels that yeah. exist out there. Because uh, back then, I mean, if we're – the biggest one that exists, then we just throw up a camera and collect footage. And because we're the only one, it doesn't really like quality doesn't matter 
as much. I say that because what other option do you have? Like right. we're the only ones making videos, right? But what the other channels have done, and, and I say this with uh, complete transparency and honesty, is uh, they have pushed us to excel to be better. And better in a good way because we're different from each other. Like as much as we're making battle reports and we're all covering games that are either the same or similar, and at the end of the day, it's a battle report. We are different in our personalities, in our styles, and in the way in which the game is covered and the aspects that are focused on. And so tabletop tactics, I'll give, I'll, I'll give Lawrence a, a shout out for just a moment here. The spider. So uh, when we looked at his videos, this was a number of years ago uh, when he was uh, just a couple of years after he started. And we saw that he was doing cinematic intros. And we're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. How, how how could we do something like that? Do we need to do something like that? And so we we started experimenting, right? And completely inspired by the stuff that uh, he was doing on his channel at the time. And then uh, and then uh, Winters SEO, right? So Winters, fantastic dude, by the way. Just love that guy. Uh, looking at his stuff and uh, looking at the different uh, tables that he's making. And, in, and again, he's very much, it feels like you're in the room fighting alongside with him. Yeah. And he's got that relatable attitude where it's yeah yeah have a drink play a game let's have some fun uh let's do a fun narrative thing and then looking at the tables it's like okay he's got some unique tables with the the terrain that he's using and you know putting like this uh loose stone around buildings and and so it's like that inspired us with our terrain a bit and then with play on tabletop looking at their production value and seeing a battery port and looking at it and like man that that could be on tv looking at the quality right and so i would say out of the channels like for us that disrupted us so much looking at how they were making battle reports because they started just a couple of years ago yeah and they exploded on the scene with these amazing battle reports and so much so where everything that had been done thus far was done to a certain uh level uh quantity quality level right and they come on the scene and they make this thing that looks like it can it can go on Netflix or it can go on TV, and we're like, oh wow, this is this is completely disrupting everything that we've ever known. We need to rethink this whole thing. <laughs> uh, and I and I've spoken to uh, their team. I've spoken to, to TAC, and we've become friends uh, over the past uh, year. And uh, it, we've compared notes back and forth as well. And I told him this, so he's he's aware of this. And uh, so what we did, what Mini Wargaming did, is we went back to the drawing board and said, okay, how can we make a battery port that is the max amount of quality that we can produce given our production uh, resources? And so we tried the interview style, kind of reality TV style playback where we would show the game. We tried to do cinematics. We tried to do that uh, narrative. And we tried to do the gameplay as well, making it super, super tight putting a lot of hours into production afterwards in the editing. And then when we posted them, we posted a number of battle reports like that, a few dozen. And the feedback was very interesting, not what we were expecting. It was uh, the the majority, like there was a lot of stuff like, oh, cool new style, you guys are trying something new. Then there was a lot of, oh man, we, we can't hear you guys. It's jarring, it's all over the place. And then there was a lot of, you know what? As much as this is higher production value, we don't we don't see your personalities. Your personalities are completely lost in this new style. I'd rather see the old style with your personalities because that's why I watch your channel. So what it did is it showed us 
the things that people like most about us, and it showed us the areas in which we can improve that made sense for us to improve. Not just to copy another channel that is doing something amazingly well, but to look inward and to be introspective and to see ways in which we can improve. And we have, we have since done that. We've improved our own style. And so our style is much better than it used to be a year ago or a few years, a few years ago it's, uh, because of these other channels. Which is awesome. Amazing, really, that you have that ability to look out and go and, and kind of pick things and be inspired and, and look to improving rather than the attitude that some people have, which is we are the best. You guys do what you want to do and we'll just keep on, you know, towing our own line. Um, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned personalities as well because, again, in, in other really successful channels that I've spoken to, there's a general agreement that a big part of that is is how well the people gel together and how well the personalities come across on camera. And mm-hmm. you have guys with big personalities and you've got Matt who's just this kind of quietly spoken, knowledgeable dude who's, you know, you learn a lot from as you as you watch. And, mm-hmm. and everyone kind of gels really, really well. I think that's got to be a big part of, of why it works, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. You kind of have your own personality that you cater to, that you like, that you relate to. Yeah. You, you like watching. And not everybody's uh, going to like everybody, but as long as you... No. Yeah, okay. But you have your variety, though, which is why the multiple personalities, I think, uh, it works. And on your note about what you were saying about uh, some channels saying that, uh, oh, watch ours because we're the best... Uh, and different channels saying that, you know, that's very interesting because we've talked about that uh, amongst ourselves, amongst the community and what constitutes the best, what constitutes the best battle report channel. And that is so subjective. Yeah. It's very relative to what you prefer, right? Like, uh, are, is the highest number of subscribers, does that determine the best? Uh, well, I mean, there's other channels that get more views than us. So that's obviously not right because we'd rather more views than subscribers because at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. And then there's also a number of comments and videos, right? There's also the accuracy in the games and there's the personalities, which you can't quantify. You can't, how do you compare that? Right? Like I, I like, I like Lawrence better than Steve or, you know, I like winters better than whoever, right? Like it's, it, it's really hard to, it's really what it comes down to is preference. It's just like, I like watching this cause I, I think it's fun and I feel good watching it. Yeah, and it's going to be different for everybody. And and variety is important in terms of, look, if you go into any city in the world, the car dealerships are all in the same area and the cafes and the bars are all in, down one long strip or in the same area because what you want to do is invite people who are interested in battle reports into a space and go, well, here's a bunch. And, and then you have you guys and whoever else offering battle reports to people. And the more quality the ones there are, the better it is for all of you guys, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I absolutely agree to that because it'll cater to a larger audience and it'll bring in people who aren't players of the game necessarily. Right. Bring new players in. And and yeah. you and you and Play On is a great example. The people who watch their reports and, and like that style, they see you on the channel as we did uh, in real time. This is, I want to say, a, a week ago or so. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they go, oh, well, let's check that guy out. And obviously that's why you guys do it as well as having fun. Let's yes. <laughs> let's talk about your other interests. In 2016, you made a movie called The Rangers Bloodstone, which I watched the trailer for, but I haven't seen the movie. Uh, and the trailer looks amazing as someone who comes from the country that made Lord of the Rings. Uh, awesome. It, it's so cool. And I love you've got this drone shot over the hills and the valleys. and the. And so you, <laughs> you wrote and directed and starred in this and produced it. I did. Correct? I did. Okay. Yes. So it's a, we call this it a passion is... project. 
definitely a passion project. Uh, four years. It's a four year project. Wow. Uh, and it's okay. So since I was a kid, I've had this dream of be, being an actor, being in movies. You know, I see the credits roll up at the end of a movie and I ask my dad, hey, dad, how come my name's never in there? And he's, he's like, well, well, son, you need to be a part of the movie for that to happen. And uh, and so, you know, it's always been a dream of mine. I've always watched movies. And if I, you know, just a, as a little side note, if I didn't do a, if I didn't have a, war, a YouTube channel about wargaming, I would 100% have a YouTube channel about movies right. and probably do uh, video movie essays uh, about that because I just love it so much. But. But yeah, so I, I've always wanted to do that. Uh, about five years ago, I was at Gen Con. I met this uh, director. Uh, he was showcasing his uh, film there. He was, he was uh, promoting it. And I talked to him about it. I was there for like wargaming purposes, right? And he was the first person I talked to. His name is Ron Newcomb. And I said, hey, this is cool. I didn't know movies were here. What, what, what are you doing here? And he told me about it and talking for a good hour. And he, he said that, yeah, you know, this is what I do. I'm a filmmaker. And just like kind of as, as a little thing, I, I said, you know, one day it'd be really cool to be in a movie. And this is where he turns to me and he goes, you know what, Dave? I want you in my next movie. Wow. And and I said, uh, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm not going to say no to that. That's super cool. And so he told me about it. It's a fantasy film called The Rangers. And uh, yeah, I did an audition for it afterwards and he accepted me and I flew to Virginia and I was in this movie. I spent a year growing my hair long and learn this accent that I stumbled my way through. But luckily I was teamed up with a professor of acting who really helped me with that. And I had so much fun on set. Oh man, it was like being transported to another world. At the end of filming, I asked Ron, I said, hey, can I keep my costume in case I want to <laughs> film on, you know, make a video on my YouTube channel? And he thought about it. He's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. It could only promote the movie. And so I took my costume home and I, it, you know, it was kind of tough getting it over the border because it's like, all right, so what's the value of the goods? I'm like, I don't have any idea. There was a gift. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's a gift. Uh, what's the worth? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess it was worth a couple thousand dollars, which I had no idea. So, he, but he let me have it because wow. he was he believed in me, right? Uh, and so I, I I thought, okay, I, I'm it's time to make a movie. It's time to make a a, a video or something. But I don't want to just make a YouTube video. I want to make an actual short film that could be that could fit in the canon of this world that he's already created. And so I asked Ron, I said, hey, I want to make a short film. First off, is that, okay? is that okay? And if so, what are the parameters? And again, he thinks about it and he goes, you know what? Yes. Yeah, that that's totally cool. I love the idea. But there's a couple things. One, your character can't die in case it affects something I want to do in the future. And two, it has to take place before my movie. And basically what I interpreted that to mean was, I was immortal and I could do anything I want. <laughs> that is and the I, only like, way to interpret what he said, I think. That's fair. That's the only way, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, and yeah. so, absolutely. So I go ahead and make a short film. It was a 20-minute short film. And I, I made it within the parameters of everything that I was able to control, which was my time and you know other people's time. So I got a couple of mini Wargaming employees to be in it. At the time, it was Quirk and Steve. And Quirk played this orc villain steve played this massive brute villain and then my daughter was in it so i made this simple little story of these orcs raiding and pillaging villages they kidnap my daughter and i gotta go save her very much a fantasy version of taken oh wow great yeah uh and that's where i got the story from and i i it was submitted to uh film festivals and wouldn't you know it it actually wins one had no clue that it, it could win a film festival for any 
because I'd never made a film before. I had never written any script before. My relative experience was YouTube videos, but that's vastly different. It was yeah. just kind of goofing around making YouTube videos, right? Uh, and it attracted the attention of a couple producers, which again, I had no clue that filmmakers, that's what they do. They make a short film, they submit it to film festivals in the hopes that a producer gets interested and gives them production budget money. I, I did that inadvertently, not even expecting to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's why the feature film came up. And so the feature film was uh, a longer, it was a continuation of the short film that finished the story. And it ended up having 18 actors, 62 extras. We build sets for it, lots of costuming. Each one was unique, new, uniquely costumed. Uh, there was a Kickstarter for it. Uh, and so it was this big, big project that just kind of exploded and the excitement was contagious and everyone was very happy to be a part of it and, and share in that uh, experience, everyone together. It was really out of this world. And it was uh, so, it was well received. It must have been really cool to get it made and then have that premiere in Welland. Was that for the short film or for for the feature film? For both, actually. Oh, you did both. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. That was awesome too. Yeah. Uh, and for, I remember that first experience of uh, seeing uh, seeing myself on the silver screen in Virginia for the first time and being super self-conscious, like, oh man, everyone's looking at me right now. But at the same time, this feels amazing. I'm so <laughs> conflicted in my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was very iridescent, right? So I wanted that same experience for everyone who was involved in the movie because I, I just knew how incredible it felt. And now just to really prove the Renaissance Man label that I have just given you, um, you wrote a kid's book as well called Trolls. <laughs> yes. I think yes. There's only one oh, way to say it. it, right? You can't quietly say trolls. No, it's it's definitely a yell. It's definitely like a, a wah yeah. version of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, I mean, so uh, for bedtime, you know, I, I didn't read bedtime stories to my kids. I instead did a role-playing game with them that I made up on the spot. We did this imaginative role-playing game for five to ten minutes each bedtime, made up our own characters, and and so that's where that spawned from. And so trolls in the world of trolls, I figured, you know what? It would actually be fun for me to read them a bedtime story, but based off of the adventures that we've wow. been on yeah. and using them as characters in the book. Yeah. How cool will that be? So I was gonna do that. I was gonna like take pictures and assemble, you know, compile them into a book and go to like walmart or somewhere like that to just kind of print off one copy and i thought you know what if, if i'm going to go through all this work maybe what, what i could do is actually get it illustrated and uh, write it properly and maybe the wargaming community would want to uh, participate in this as well because i can add some wargaming elements into it and so i did uh and so it was the wargaming kids book i mean there's deffy is in the book you're rolling dice and yeah there's a yeah the very last page we're all around this table uh wargaming together uh and so around a table putting together minis and rolling dice and having snacks and uh, after we've gone through our adventure and that was a successful indiegogo campaign that uh, i managed to do um and while we're on the kids i watched some uh, kid hammer first of all your kids are the cutest i mean i want to trade uh, my kids are cool and everything but your kids are just so cute <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't disagree. You're very kind with your words, but I am biased, so I do agree. Right. Um, Kid Hammer's a cool idea. I, uh, what's happening with Kid Hammer? Well, actually, we should explain what Kid Hammer is in case people haven't seen it. It's it's you and your one or two of your children at a time 
playing a game of Warhammer with actual armies, smaller armies, but still and kind of introducing kids to the game, which is such a cool concept. And and they are so cute that it carries off so well. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you for that. Uh, I It was certainly a fun experience for me. Uh, <laughs> for them, it's different because it's filming. Right? If we were straight up playing the game, I think that would be different. But because of the filming process and yeah. ha- having to wait for certain things and, uh, you know, little kids, especially small kids, like the patience isn't always a thing that right. uh, they're endowed with. Right. So, uh, it was fun while it lasted. I'm not sure how, if I'll be able to do it more in the future, the idea, I think there's merit behind the idea. And, uh, to be absolutely frank, there was a lot of me telling them what to say right. on camera. Right. Cause if you were to watch it, not knowing any different, it would look as though they know how to play the game, which is very much f- very far from the truth. They, they're <laughs> right, just, right. they're and, basically repeating what I'm telling them to say, uh, but they're still having fun rolling dice and watching things explode, right? They're having fun doing that, but for them to make their own decisions tactically and uh, know what they're doing is, uh, I mean, that takes years. Sure. And that's why kids usually when they're like, you know, what are they 12 or more when they get into the game truly? Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, I was playing with my five-year-old and other than, this cool model that has this thing that has big guns on it. It's, uh, you know, having fun with daddy, that's kind of uh, his experience. And I think that's how he'll remember it. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's great. But at some point you've got to make the decision, hold on, maybe I'm better putting all of this time and effort into, into the channel, into mini wargaming and, you know, um, so then in 2017, mini wargaming was named business of the year at the Welland Pelham chamber of commerce, Ruby awards. As a, as a guy who started up, what we have to say is quite a niche business. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. There must be people in Welland who have no idea what 40K is, or are you kind of famous in town now and people know what it is? Well, uh, I I don't know if I'd ever go as far as to say that I'm famous anytime, anywhere. Um, I, I certainly, there's a lot of people who don't know who we are, uh, especially in Welland, <laughs> uh, even uh, in spite of winning the award for 2017. Uh, and so, I mean, there certainly was a lot of that. It's like, Wow, who are you guys? Where did you come from? What is your business? Yeah. I had no idea you can make money that way. Yeah. There, there was a lot of that, right? Uh, but I think really the thing that caught the local public eye was the fact that uh, we were building the bunker at the time and that there was this big grand uh, idea that was formalizing and physicalizing that excited a lot of people. Funnily enough, on my list, that's the next thing to get to is the bunker, just because uh, you know, w- watching the channel, I used to see these people come and challenge, you know, you'd see Luca or Steve or whoever playing against someone from Chicago and they'd introduce mm-hmm. themselves and then they'd play. And as a person that lives on the other side of the world, I thought, oh, one day, one day I will do this, make this journey to, <laughs> to wherever they are in Canada. And, um, and, then, and then I read that you had, you know, that lots of people want to do this. And so you had set up, or you had the idea of setting up the bunker, uh, yeah. which is which is what accommodation and people go and stay and play. Uh, yeah, that's that's essentially it uh, in, in its simplest form. Absolutely, that's what it is. Uh, so, I mean, for years, that's another year. That's another four year, five year idea. Okay, because five. <laughs> I remember five years ago, I had this idea because we had guests come all the time and we're fighting them, right? And you know, we had built these studios. Uh, I remember making the studios. It was a lot of fun. 
we had four themed studios. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the, when the guests come, they, they don't stay in a hotel, they stay in a bed and breakfast. And what if that bed and breakfast was themed like the studios? How immersive would that be? And heck, what if that bed and breakfast was attached to us somehow uh, and we owned it? Yeah. And so I, I talked to every guest that came in. It's like, hey, what do you think of this idea? And I'd run it past them, right? And they're like, well, that's a no-brainer, Dave. Of course we'd stay here. Yeah. Of course we'd want to stay here and not at a hotel. Like we can game all into the wee hours of the morning. And and so everyone seemed to like the idea, right? Uh, and I just happened to tell the right person, which was Hunter White, who ended up becoming the investor for the bunker. And I told him the idea. And I remember what he said to me. He's like, Dave, that's awesome. When are we going to do this? And I'm like, when are we going to do this? That's a, a that's an amazing response. I'm not sure what that means yet, Hunter, but I like where we're going with this. When are we going to do this? Because yeah. I thought it was just like, you know, 10 years down the road and maybe we'll have that. And so we found this property and, uh, and okay, you know what? Here's a good example of how Matt is so different than me because I, you know, I was having this wild idea and I told Matt and I said, okay, first off, are you, are you for the idea against the idea? And if you're for it, what do you care about? He's like, yeah, well, it seems like to be a good idea. There's no reason not to. There's not huge risk. Uh, and the thing I care about is, can I control the temperature in the room? Hot or cold? <laughs> that's, that's all I care about. And so and I, so I said, so the aesthetics, so how I want the rooms to look, every nut and bolt, you're saying that I can just go nuts and you're cool with that. He's like, yep, that's totally fine by as me. Okay, as long as right. there's temperature control, he's all good. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and so there, I mean, there it is right there. Right. Uh, and he said, yeah, that, that stuff like aesthetics, uh, making things look like that's, that's your, that's your thing, Dave. Uh, and so, yeah, so I just went nuts with it. And the building that we have, not only does it have the, the rooms upstairs for people to stay that are themed like the studios that we have, we have six studios that are all themed uniquely based off of the Warhammer games. And then we also have a tournament hall that, uh, you know, without COVID restrictions can fit 60 people. Wow. And then th there's also a storefront that we uh, lease to a friend of ours. And, uh, you know, there's a cafeteria space, lots of storage for things. So just uh, it became much more than we were expecting. There's even space uh, below the store in the lower level that we are turning into escape rooms, which has, which will still continue uh, it's been halted because of COVID, but uh, I'm optimistic and I think that it'll be fine uh, and that we'll be able to proceed with that. But it's it's really a kind of like this wonderland of fun things to do if you're into Warhammer and you can appreciate the stuff that's going on around you. I feel like this is like a, a an inspiration story for other for other folks in, in other parts of the world. Um, and weirdly, I caught up with Lawrence from Tabletop Tactics. Uh, I want to say about a year and a half ago, I was in London and we sat down and had a beer and I was talking to him about your idea then <laughs> and about how cool that was and what if he could do something like that? And he's like, man, wouldn't that be amazing? So you know what? Everybody inspires everybody. So to give us an idea uh, behind the scenes, how many people are coming through pre-COVID? How many people are coming through well and like on a weekly basis going, I want to play against one of your guys? Weekly, multiple people a week. There's right. uh yeah, so I mean, every day, yeah, every day there were there were guests. Sometimes the guests would stay for a week and take turns battling each one of us. And okay, really? Be multiple multiple guests, and you know, fighting many of us at a time. And I feel like if you're gonna yeah. make if you're gonna make the journey, if it's a long one, 
you want to stay for a few days and then yeah have, have maybe have a game each day against different people that's a great idea wow that's a that's a goal that's a life goal for me now so <laughs> then covid hits that had to hurt you guys because i feel like the bunker was only just born and maybe only just finding its mm-hmm. legs and then and then this mm-hmm. stinking pandemic has come in how did that play with you so i mean yeah we had to shut down the like there, obviously there was no guests at all coming in right. that was a complete halt on that and then people coming to the bunker to stay to the bunker i mean a lot of people weren't traveling anywhere at the time so that was a complete halt on all of that stuff um we have since had a handful of guests uh less than 20 since last year since the the uh, since the uh pandemic hit so i mean that's this is this is the long game. I think uh, the bunker and the the rooms and the experiences that uh, people can have here, gaming here, that's certainly the long game. Because you know, for the past year, we've we haven't been able to focus on it because of the pandemic. Uh, but it's interesting because in one area that suffers, another area increases, because we have noticed that since the pandemic, our views on our videos have increased because there are more people at home that have more time to watch videos. Yeah, and so it's. It's interesting uh, how there's this ebb and flow of basically the world that we have no control over and that we can't predict. Uh, and so we can just hope for the best. That's the best we can do. I feel like that's a uh, that's a nice spot to end it, uh, except for maybe to ask, since you're, a, a, you know, just a constantly moving ball of ideas, I imagine awake at nighttime thinking of new things. What's next on the agenda for, for you? Uh, making a miniature war game. That's the next Okay. That's uh, the next big one uh, in which I'm currently working on, and I've uh, teased a couple posts about it. And uh, that's that's uh, probably out of all the projects I've ever worked on, uh, that is the largest, most lofty, most detail-driven, uh, most long-term uh, game-changing idea uh, project because that it, the success of that will determine more of that. Uh, and that is the most exciting because it's the most relevant to what I do. Right. The movie is is not relevant. I made it part of Mini War Gaming because same with the kids' book. I made it part of it. Even the bunker is like, yes, it's in the background, it's in the periphery, but making a miniature war game, that is the most relevant thing that I could do, that I could work on to make part of the channel and add to the excitement that is Mini War Gaming. Well, I'm really excited to see to see how it all unfolds. I can't wait to hear more about it. Dave, thanks so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. It's been a a lot of fun getting to know you. A pleasure. Thanks for having me on. A very big thank you to Dave from Mini Wargaming. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to every conversation with all of my amazing guests at 40kgamechangers.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Mini Wargaming on YouTube or at miniwargaming.com. Next week, Chapter Master Valrak on being a 40k fanboy and that thing with winters. Is that really a feud? Until then, I'm Steve Joel and this has been 40k Game Changers. (laughs) 